Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and standing before me is Big Waz. (laughs) Looking as beautiful as ever. Oh, thank you so much. Being broadcast on a screen above us like Zordon from Power Rangers is Rob Mahoney. Hi, Rob. Hi, yeah. Just to give the full visual, you guys are all in a room together having a wonderful time and just basking in the glow of my my face and my takes before you. So we'll we'll see how that feels as well, we're getting deep into this podcast. We're also basking in the presence of our special guest. It's Jay Kyle Mann. Hi, Kyle. Hello, how's it going? Zordon, quite a reference. I don't know like what the audience like reception rate on that. Like Isaiah, do you know who Zordon is? No. There we go. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. The kids today. They're not being raised right. They're missing out. <laughs> Much like 90s style, it will come back though. I, I promise well, you. Well, they made a movie. It flopped, didn't it? Didn't they have didn't they like Elizabeth Banks was in it or something? I forgot. Like I'm trying to remember. They, they did. Never they stopped churning it. that shit out. I don't think they just keep making movies and shows. And I think, but I don't know. I can't speak to the flop or the Elizabeth Banks of it all. Well, okay. Isaiah has pulled up now. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Shouts shout to the Black Ranger who was actually a black guy. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> he was the Mastodon. I remember. Yeah. So, in addition to talking about Power Rangers, the White Ranger, and whether or not he was actually the Green Ranger, we are going to talk about. <laughs> some rookies this podcast because Kyle is now our rookies expert. You are going to be dropping on the ringer.com a special build as we call it internally. Uh, He's going to be ranking the rookies throughout the season. Kyle, are you excited to be on this journey uh, along with these sprightly young players? Sprightly. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I, 
it's sort of a formality a little bit, I guess, because I'm always kind of in this lane anyway. I guess we're just sort of like acknowledging it in some official way. Because we've done rookie notebooks over the years. We've done, you know, I always write about summer league. I love to write about the draft, mm. high school here and there. I might, you know, drop in a little bit of that and watch people's eyes glaze over as I talk about that. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited for for reasons of it's fun to watch these guys. And we kind of talk about this in the intro of the uh of the of the site build is that it's just fun to watch these guys get their legs under them in a lot of different ways a because you'll see these wild nights where they get amped up to go toe to toe with uh with like uh, somebody that's a star or they might completely crap the bed in madison square garden which i'm sure we'll talk about um and just to watch them learn it's just it's a unique thing it's a unique part of a player's career and uh it's uh, I, i do enjoy it it's it's a good time yeah, so we're going to run through a bunch of the notable rookies today. I actually want to start big picture here because on a given night, there's usually one or two or three or four, even five interesting rookies that you could find and just plug into. Uh, are, is this one of the better classes, Kyle, you think we've had in a while? Is this like potentially historic territory we're on? Is this a tee up for me to say my big take about this class? Did oh, I didn't you know about to, this. Uh, well, you deleted it from the thing, so I didn't know. <laughs> well, so it'll be fresh for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this, this really is an opportunity for me to confront Justin in a lot of ways. No, I, uh, I'm ready for it. <laughs> no, I have a show. Really what this podcast ready. is, to be honest. <laughs> That's true. No, my big take about this, I, I kind of had a, um, you know, when you when your face is kind of close to the canvas working on something, you you don't you don't all aren't always thinking about the. 35,000 feet kind of thoughts about it. And when I, when I actually finished the writing for this round of it, I took a step back and I was noticing the patterns of the things I was saying. And sometimes you get sick of hearing yourself say the same things over and over again, but this is a class that I think personally, now they got to go do it, but there is like a setup here in the potential. I'll go and just fire it. I think this could be the best defensive class Maybe ever. I was waiting for him to say best ever, and he's like, best I was like, defensive okay, ever. Better than I don't 19, know. That's a strong take. Is that take. not sexy enough for you? Better than 1984, better than 1996. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I really I really think the defensive talent in this class could be the best that we've seen. I mean, I can't think of another one that's comparable. I really can't. I mean, 84 is what? Hakeem Jordan? Barkley? Barkley. I mean, defensively, though, yeah. maybe not. Sam Bowie. But like, the depth of it, though. I'm saying we've got... He said Sam Bowie. <laughs> Sam Bowie was a good player. He just had horrible luck. I yeah. mean, I'm not just saying that as a Kentucky guy, but he was he was a good player. He was like a nimble athlete when he was in college. His legs just kept breaking. I mean, that was the problem. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, Jordan, Hakeem, John Stockton, is is that's a that's a tough defensive class to beat. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's, that's top-heavy, but we have yeah, Wimby, who could be... Um, I don't know how you want to segue into the sort of like one-by-ones here. Let's go here. Like, yeah, let's talk about Wimby. Wimby has a chance. I, you, I'll just throw this to you all and see what, with your eyes what you have observed, see if you disagree with this. I mean, I, I think he could be a de- defensive player of the year. Uh, for me, I've, I've moved past that question. I'm like, yes, just him existing. He's one of those guys. I think there's a level you hit as a defensive player. AD has done this. Gobert has done this. Um, you think back about like the Garnets and people like that. There's a level you hit where the stat, the stats – the raw stats don't quantify. Mess, they don't doing. quantify because mm-hmm. like when you would go on yeah. and look and you'd be like, okay, why is this guy not in as many? It's because there starts to be this like avoidance response yes. to you in the stats that you, if you look in and look closely. And I think Wimby's going to get that. He might already be there. Just like him just zoning on the weak side completely disrupts 
weak side offenses for teams like where he's just standing there and like teams like on the on the weak side say they run their primary action to one side it'd be like well i know i can't skip it over there and he's not moving and then and you're like well i know if i try to lob it to the rim and i catch myself thinking like he could have gone for this or that play. Like he's not making wild gambles and like tr- trying to swoop in and make the big play. He doesn't more in fourth quarters, but I just think that I've moved past the idea of him being the defensive player of the year. I I, I feel like I'm pretty confident that's going to happen. It's more how soon that's the yeah. conversation I've been having with people like next couple years. Like I, I really like he's a generational defensive talent to me. Waz, what do you think? I, you know, I, I think I've been probably the most skeptical when Binyama person in all of NBA media. Uh, I I pretty quickly had to eat crow on that. Uh, I'm talking about like opening night. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, To me, the defensive stuff is interesting because especially bigs, they tend to get picked on very early on in pick and roll in ways that teams will just be like, we're just going to go to the well on putting this rookie in a bunch of pick and roll actions or putting them in off ball actions. And Wemby just doesn't get picked on that way. Uh, Even if he's kind of in position, his physical abilities make it so that he's in a good defensive position. He's going to alter the trajectory of shots, watching people, you know, and this was happening again, first two weeks of the season, people practicing their moon shots in preparation to play against him. I think, I I was never skeptical of his defensive potential. I think where I've really felt like I was I got the Wemby thing wrong was just on offense. To me, the fact that he's getting to the free throw line already five times a game is crazy. You know, like people of his size, of his age, they just generally get pushed around. They're not used to the physicality of the league. Uh, they don't draw fouls, even when they're taller than everybody. And the fact that he's able to do that already. Um, just speaks volumes to me. And the best thing about his offense is, you know, very hazardous in, in our notes that he's at, he's at a 31% usage. When I watch their games, I feel like he should be using more possessions. Right. Right? Like, I feel like he's not doing enough. Like, he could be doing more. Um, and so that, to me, is what blow, has blown me away. His ability to threaten on offense, whether it's lob threats or, you know, people respecting the jump shot already and getting to the free throw line. These are things that take time to develop, and he's already doing that. Rob? I think, Waz, to your point about the free throws, I think we're seeing a lot of ways in which Wemby's exact dimensions are a little bit different than even like a seven-footer, right? I think part of the reason he draws contact so well and gets fouled as often as he does, or those are called fouls, is it's so exaggerated when you put a hand on his hip. And he's so dynamic and he's moving so well that all those things, it calls attention to that kind of contact. We just don't see people move the way he does at his size ever. And so the fact that those elements are being put into a fluid offense or being put into situations where he's on the move and attacking and he's as aggressive as he is, even though his usage could be even higher, as as we've been saying, I just think it, it, it calls attention to what makes him so singular and it puts him in just like a super rare group of players as far as what he could ultimately be watching him in transition is one of my favorite things like he moves he kind of like bobs like an ostrich because his limbs have to catch up to where he is and he'll just like wrap his arms around the ball like a highlight bracket whatever that thing is it's just like (laughs) it's outrageous but the one thing that is still jumping out to me is how much despite how large he is how freakishly long he is he's still fading away 
at times, even when it's not Kevin Durant in front of him. It's just like a normal sized person like Bam Adebayo, or he'll even jump pass, but the jump is like an inch off of the floor. So he still does some of the young player things that uh, he probably doesn't have to do because he doesn't have to actually jump to get ahead of all these guys. Kyle, are you surprised at all by some of the things he's doing on offense, either like that he's not doing or that he's already like way past what you expected? Um, I, it's a little bit of a mixed bag because I, I wrote, you know, the one, one thing I'll say about what I wrote about him initially is that like his offensive profile right now is very Porzingis-y in a, yes. but, but he is not bound in the set. He moves better than, than Chris Epps probably yeah. ever did, honestly. And he's longer. And so, but we're seeing a lot of like face up stuff. I mean, he's very face up, heavily, heavily face up dependent. We'll see him like they'll kick it out to him and it'll just be he'll be wide open. The funny thing about him is if he's if he has the ball, he's open. It's kind of like the Brooke Lopez thing of just like he's he's going to players. You'll always hear players talk about like it's so disrespectful. Like you'll hear like Steven Jackson was the guy who had a high release point would just shoot like nobody was there. Wimby does that like you. There's no getting to his jump shot. I, I think I've been more curious about um, how they're going to work him into kind of hub status which i think could happen where in like where that would happen we kind of talked about it a little bit in summer league where i was like i expect him to get these kind of like short corner elbow post touches because he can see over everybody he can get to that shot whenever he wants to he doesn't necessarily have to be you know the dancing and the stuff that he did with mets 92 where he'd get down we've already seen him do his little his in and out dribble crossover and the guys in the nba are just like that's just not happening and i mean like um i i'm more fascinated most fascinated with him about like how they're going to work him into um even though his usage rate is high like how are they going to more efficiently run everything through him because i think i don't i don't want to get carried away with him but like i think he could become an elite passer too like he he makes passes on a nightly basis that are like really really incredible like threading threading things through windows he just he has touch at the end of that length that is really really uncommon like control in his like extremities that um is is just phenomenal rob what do you think about how they're using Wemby in San Antonio. You're surprised that like even still early in the games it seems like it's the Vassell time and then they slowly default to Wemby. Then there's actually kind of been something of a backlash where it's like get Wemby the ball more. Uh are you in that camp or where do you fall on that? I kind of admire the restraint and some of it's like from a long-term team building standpoint. You want Devin Vassell to be on board with this. You want Keldon Johnson to be on board with this. Like whoever you consider to be the core members of this group, you want them to feel good about how the balance of this is going to work and those guys will naturally find times to get Victor involved. I like that there, you know, there, there is a balance between him getting the ball and being able to cook and show off everything he can do. But they also just like have Victor run to the rim and seal a guy and throw it over the top a fair amount where like that, that's just going to be there against every team in the league for as long as he plays basketball. I like those elements too, in addition to what he could eventually be as a hub, as you were saying, Kyle. And I mean, this is the thing is like, I, Victor is such an absurd player that when you describe him as being the hub of an offense, I'm genuinely thinking if this guy runs a dribble handoff, is the handoff too high for the average <laughs> point guard? Like, is it at, is it at eye level versus like chest pocket level? Waz, what do you think about him? I uh, It's interesting that Kyle brought up KP because I was very close to that because it started out on the Knicks. And... Yes, a lot of it does remind me of KP in the sense that a lot of the diet is pick and pop, rolling to the rim. Uh, even early on, KP flashed 
a, a level of rim protection that I don't think people were expecting. Um, I think this year he's finally realized the potential of what his rim protection and and defensive capabilities always should have been. But it didn't. It it usually came out in spurts. And I just looked this up. Like KP's rookie year, he averaged like three point six free throws a game. He didn't get over four until his third year. You know, just the fact that he, he's already more physical than Porzingis is in in how he executes what he's trying to do. To me, that's what makes him, you know, just really exciting as an offensive threat. The thing about KP is that his center of gravity was so freaking high, is basically at his nipples. Mm -hmm. He was very easy to push around, you know, meaning a guy like Pat Bev could get switched onto him in a playoff setting, right? Um, And that's why ultimately he didn't feel as imposing as he should have. To me... When Binyama's already, he's already exerting his will in the ways like in his first 20 NBA games, it shouldn't be happening like this. And that it already is, you know, and the jump shot is, you know, it's coming and going early on in the in a year. But, you know, to think that that's going to be at like 36% and he's going to be able to crush small guys trying to switch on them. And he's going to be a vertical threat when they lob it to it. Like it's, it's just a lot to me, um, to be excited about. And again, the passing, Kristaps just didn't have that to his game. He wasn't that, he didn't have that level of imagination in where he was trying to go with the ball. And so to me, like, it's just, I think Kristaps was the, was the person that everybody looked to, to be like, oh, this reminds us of what Kristaps was doing, just more exaggerating. But yeah, he's doing everything better. Already, right? (laughs) Everything. Wemby, just a natural passer and team first sort of guy. You could always see it. Like he's always looking to get everyone involved. He seems like a good guy to play with in the huddles. And so, like, I'm excited to see what his effect is going to be on the Vassells, on the Sohan, some of these other guys who they're expecting to bring around along him. Kyle, what are are there improvement areas that you're looking at? Or you're like, oh, well, he's doing all these things amazingly, but it's like one, two, three things. Like he really needs to be improving on this year. Well, I mean the shooting is he's leaning on it so heavily like I was I was pulling it up like you'd like to see that come around I'm sure if you ask pop about that he would bristle and, and say that they trust in him whatever but like the the dribble jumper right now yeah I mean he's shooting 25 percent on all dribble jumpers uh on un- unguarded catch and shoot shots he's shooting 28.6 percent shooting better when he's being defended actually almost you know 10 percentage points higher but at, at almost 40 um I, I I think that he's been the most impressive to me some of the, some of this, I think, is is co- comes back to an internal debate that I've just kind of enjoyed watching uh, within the ringer between different folks. That like the question of like where the Spurs are going impacts this, like mm-hmm. you know, because they don't have a lot of natural kind of passers on the team. Like you know, they need a point guard. Yeah, I mean, I. I Point guard is such a, a charged word these days. <laughs> he looked right at Rob when he said that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it. He knew his audience. I catch myself doing it where I'll be like, yeah. I'll I'll be like, uh, I want to use the word point guard, but I'll I'll just say facilitator. Like they need someone that can that is like a. Um, I'm I'm really big about like guys who like the ball moves through them. We had that discussion about like and Vassell is growing into a guy who like his passing is responding to his natural skill set, which is like he can be in a ball screen, hit a pull-up jumper. Keldon, very much the same. These aren't guys that grew up with this inclination. And I think that's penalizing Victor a little bit. Um, so I, I just think that uh, it, it's going to be kind of where his touch is coming. So I want to ask you this, though, because I think about 
the success that Minnesota's having right now. And it's hard for me to separate that success from Mike Conley's presence. Just the the stilted nature of the offense before they got Mike Conley to just having this guy that understands like every now and again, I need to just give Rudy a fucking pocket pass. It might not work. Like he's might blow the layup, but we need to do these things and like having a, a intimate feel of understanding when to do that. And then I think about when Jason Kidd was doing the point Giannis thing, which obviously was disaster for wins and losses, but Giannis developed as a ball handler and some and a passer because of those responsibilities. So I wonder, you know, in Victor's development, like this this point Vassell thing or, uh, you know, Sohan thing, like how do you balance that sacrifice, right? I'm sacrificing the offensive development of one, Victor being the most important person in the building, but also I'm turning these guys into more well-rounded hoopers. Where do you, how do you thread that needle is what I'm saying. I I think you thread it by just leaning into it and being bad and just like mm. waiting. I mean, I, I, I yeah. think they, I think they're in a position where they don't really have much to, to like, you know, they're obviously not super interested in being competitive on a certain level right now. And it's reps are really important. And if you can get them, you know, if you can get that kind of open road um, in the, in a situation like this, you you just seize the opportunity, I think, because it's important. It is important. All these things are true at once. Like, I mean, it's important for Vassell to, to develop this as a score. It's, imp- it's important for Kelton to do this. It's important for Zach Collins to develop. But you know, I, I do think eventually they're going to have to just have there's some other element, I think, that's missing from their offense. And I, I think people underrate connector is a word that just came up over and over and over again in these rookie ranking things that I wrote that like um, sometimes you just need the sanity of knowing when a ball needs to be reversed. Sometimes you need the sanity of knowing um, just those those things those, that helps your offense kind of pass with purpose, I think, because people talk about like just moving the ball, you know. You can just pass the ball without purpose and, and go nowhere. But the, a guy like that helps you just bring kind of order. And that's really all that's all I mean by when I say San Antonio needs somebody like that. Yeah, I think what I'll add to the great Spurs point guard debate of 2023 is <laughs> there are prospects who you worry about the lack of a functional offense because it denies them opportunity. It literally takes the ball out of their hands. Yeah. It doesn't get where it needs to go. The ball is finding Victor Webanyama. Yeah. It's almost impossible for it not to find him. And so if you're that kind of player who's going to get 30% usage, even when you have a suboptimal point guard, I'm just not worried about your developmental trajectory in terms of like getting the necessary touches. Yeah. So we mentioned the usage rate, 30.9 going into Tuesday night's game against the Thunder. Uh, a little tr- Jokic level. Yeah. <laughs> like- he wishes. Uh, so there have been three rookies in history, or at least according to the history tracked by Stathead, uh, with a 30-plus usage percentage and played a full allotment of game. Waz already blew the trivia by looking at the answers. <laughs> so can Rob and or Kyle name the three rookies who had a 30 or more usage as a rookie, played a full allotment of games? Over 60 games. One's, one's pretty recent. 30 is a lot. And, and so many of the like really high usage guys in recent memory were kind of brought in a little bit slow. Like my instinct is to say Luca. Luca's yeah, one. Rookie's one. Say, okay. Luca, I mean, he, well, I was thinking Oscar Robertson would have been another one, but um, 
because it was similar. Like the the stat thresholds that Luca hit was like Jordan Robin Ro- Oscar Robertson and uh, yeah, that's the one that that's the only one that I can think of. The other two are very tough. It's Ben Gordon, <laughs> who played a huge Hell role yeah. on that Bulls team, uh, and Cedric Sabalos. Whoa, yeah, Zion and Embiid technically did it. Although that was in 24 games and 31 games, LeBron was at 28.2. So just in that range, but not quite there. A higher usage than even rookie LeBron for Wemby is incredible. That's incredible. A lot of it is, you know, you might say, well, he needs it for development. Sometimes you just, as a rookie, you'd never put yourself in position to own that many possessions. That he's yeah. already doing this is crazy to me (laughs) like it's nuts that he's able to get this much usage out of a roster that you know isn't so well balanced in these early stages of his career like that's amazing to me as well, a only big. the true elites get those opportunities. The Victors, the Ben Gordons, you know, <laughs> right. really. The Cedric Sabalises, of course. The Cedric Sabalis. Was that Ben Gordon year? Is that the only time a rookie also won six man of the year? I'm pretty sure. I can't think of another one. I thought that's definitely one way to juice the usage, like come off the bench, get literally every shot for (laughs) a team that doesn't have enough bench guys. Right. He probably wasn't playing the same amount of minutes that maybe even Victor's playing. So juice juice the usage, the the Rob Mahoney story. Right. So (laughs) good Lord, take that off the resume, please. (laughs) Speaking of our beautiful gangly boys amongst the rookie class, uh, Chet Holmgren Waz's current favorite player in the league. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. So this is before the Chet and Wemby bowl. So we won't have perspective on that. Uh, but Kyle, what have you thought about Chet so far this season? I mean, that's your guy. I love him. Love him. I, I, well, let's start here. I mean, like, obviously there's the, there's the Blake Griffin thing going on, or it was, uh, it was Donovan and Ben Simmons, right? They had, they had their, like, yeah. and over Jason there. Tatum. Right, right, yeah. right. But I think Ben Simmons and Donovan were beefing on the internet. Tatum had the grace to stay out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Mitchell had the shirts. Good for him. He had yes. the merch to go with the, the billboards, the yeah. whole branding campaign. Donovan was very available that year. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. he had, a, he had a year where he was just very available. I remember, like, when they drafted, to Grayson Allen and he just like he just like photobombed the 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 post draft interview. I was like, I that's when I realized I was like, this dude is maybe just turn it down a couple notches. Uh no, I mean Chet, I say all that to say, Chet, the year was good for him. I mean, I think that's definitely the case. He's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily show he always played well through contact. We knew he wasn't a wilting flower. I remember in his draft profile I wrote about like there was a play. I, this was after I'd watched like a lot of his college games. There was a play against Jalen Duran in the tournament where he he like took the contact and fell backwards. And I was like, that was the most pathetic flop I've ever seen in my life. And my first instinct was just like, ah, oh. like I was turned You're off. Disgusted. By it. I was oh, turned wow. off by it. I was just like, what hating the on a slender man. Wow. And then I got thinking about it though, and I was like, you know, I can't ever remember him flopping before. And I was like. He probably was terrible about it because that ain't that ain't Chet. That's, That's not what just he does. not what he does. And I've made this point over and over again that like this guy, you know, he was uh, he has the Bane thing going on. Like he he was uh, he was he's initiated. Like he Desmond was, Bane. He was or... <laughs> Bane, ma- mask Bane. Okay. <laughs> Desmond's not wearing a mask. I don't think right now. But anyway, he might to hide his face from how bad the Grizzlies are. But hey, um, <laughs> hi yo. But Chet is he's a perfect like. He's he's a perfect sort of balancing like 
skill wise to like what mm-hmm. OKC is doing. Mm-hmm. But if you just look at him totally in a in a compartmental like aside from his team situation, which is great, um, he's doing he's doing things that are just incredible. I mean, he he's spacing the floor really really well. He's doing things that we thought that he could do. Like, and I, the what, the point I made in, the, in his piece is that like the better he shoots that ball, the more vulnerable fives are against him because he can handle it. Like he can yes. really get low and handle the ball. He has a few different kind of moves in his repertoire that make bigs uncomfortable away from the rim. Most bigs. Um, he is an incredible rim deterrence because he picks his battles so, so well. Like he doesn't make a move on the ball until it, it is the, you just don't see him over his skis a lot. Nope. Making plays on the ball. Like when he makes a play on the ball, it's the, precise moment to make it and his his iq just shows up a lot and he's a he's a great passer in that sense too uh been a really really nice spacer uh for them uh i posted a clip that i hope people will check out of their offense their spacing breathes like literally i just rewound it a couple times and watched it (laughs) breathe like an organism where they have to and the reason it breathes is they have to respect him so i just think totally you talk talking about like the defensive ceiling of this class i think chet could be an all nba player like because he's he is on a path to become one of the best two-way players in the league And, and if his catch all metrics hold um he's gonna be like historically very very good like he's on a crazy path right now Waz, can I sidebar with you for a second? Yes, yeah, let's do it. We had a conversation a couple pods ago Mm -hmm. comparing where Chet was offensively to where Evan Mobley is offensively. And this was three, I think it was three games into Chet's career. You were were raving. (laughs) I was hemming and hawing. And I would like to amend my statement and say that Chet is definitely, definitively more skilled offensively than Evan Mobley is because honestly... I'm thinking about like how many seven footers in the league can do the things that Chet can do on offense right now. That list is like Jokic, Embiid, Towns, Porzingis, I think is probably in that group. Sure. Wemby. Other than that, I, I think that might be it. It's to me, it's not even just the the shooting, which again, you know, certain rookies got credit for having jumpers coming in. Chet has actually proven it on the court, right? So it's not even just the shooting. For me, it's the fluidity yes. with which he's doing. Like, he has his moves have counters. His dribble moves have counters. It's not just the up and unders and the duck-ins and stuff like It's the way that he handles the ball is like a six-foot-six wing. He looks like a six-foot-six wing with the crossovers and the change of directions and all. It looks so natural. His feel is so natural. That's what I, that's what I love about it. And also, on this team, he absolutely needs to be somebody who lets the game come to him. Right. And he's doing that. He's allowing J-Dub. He's allowing Shea to dominate possessions. Uh, again, 19% usage. He needs to get that up. He needs to whenever I'm watching him, I'm like, Chad, you gotta do even more than Does that. You need I don't be, know. I mean, I eat I like he, I just personally would like to see it. <laughs> I, personally, <laughs> I just personally I, would like to see him do it. This is this is the thing though, is like the difference in Kyle, what you were laying out in terms of the spacing between just creating space versus a guy who can both create and use it. Yeah. Right. Yes. Jalen Williams, he made a, a fair number of three, he shot like 40% from three last year was not respected as a threat like Chet is. And when he puts the ball on the floor, 
Chad is just so dynamic in those situations. Yeah, the context between difference between Wemby and Chet is so fascinating to yeah. me. Just because you look at a Thunder game and Chet's just playing alongside what is basically the An US versus the world yeah. team, just like <laughs> on the same roster. Yeah. And so like statistically, Kyle, like the Wemby and Chet lines look pretty similar right now. Efficiency-wise, Chet is just off the charts. He's 55, 50, 90. 90. Let's, let's just say that like this is where they end up at the end of the season. Are you more likely to, let's say you have a theoretical rookie of the year vote, or just like trying to balance like context and everything like this? Are you more impressed with Wemby because he's driving so much more offense or someone like Chet who's just taking what the game affords and what his offense and all these other all-star level players are allowing him to do? Well, what if they switch places? That's always my thing. I mean, like, I think in this situation, if you have like a center and you have like a, a like a smaller ball handler, you can't do that. You know, I always love to do it with the Jokic and Bead thing. Like, I just like, well, what would happen if we changed places? I mean, I think I think Wimby would be a little. Please more don't if- start that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we know what would happen. Who wants to get one team would still go yeah. to the finals. The other would, you know. Yeah. Who wants to get? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> basketball brain cancer uh i like it is a cancerous it is a carcinogen that that discussion (laughs) in my opinion no like if you had victor i think he'd be more efficient overall i mean i think he probably like i think it would be he's taking harder shots now that's why his efficiency is lower to me it's obvious why the percentages don't look like he's taking much harder shots he's constantly having to set up himself because you know, again, he doesn't play with a setup guy. Like I, to me, that's just what those um, those efficiency differences yeah. speak to. I think I think I'm just more curious about like how you evaluate. I think it's more impressive. Like, if you had a rookie of the year vote, like right now, let's say we stopped it after ten games, like we will are, not, we cannot. Oh, stop it with the to, sanctimonious to, to bullshit. Me, to, <laughs> me, to me, it's Wemby because he's doing harder things. Yeah. He's being asked to do things that are much more difficult, particularly at this stage of his career. Like, this is way harder to do your first taste of the NBA than, you know, Chet getting to very meticulously pick his spots. But, Rob, if I incorporated, like, where they are in the standings, too, like, do you give Chet more credit because he's on a part of what the Thunder and the Thunder are fifth in the West right now? And the Spurs are going to be awful. With Rookie of the Year, I barely ever consider yeah, team record. context, except in like very aberrational cases. Well, so we I, did I it with, with Scotty and, and Mobley, right? This was the conversation. Scotty drove more offense, but Mobley was on a better team playing better defense, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I voted for Mobley that season. I didn't vote for him. We, because we know, the we know why you voted. <laughs> <laughs> we know who you voted for. <laughs> Here's the thing about Chet, though. Like, I, I agree with everything that you said, Waz, as far as like the difficulty of the stuff Victor Webinama is doing is more difficult. Chet is also doing something that's pretty difficult, which is he is playing in more of a complementary role, right? Yes. Very much like a spacer on a lot of possessions where he's playing out of that stuff. He's doing that, but he's bringing force and he's bringing edge. Yeah. And like honestly, for young players, that can be really difficult. They're so used to having the ball in their hands at every level. That's where they get their energy from. And so the fact that he's able to be picking his spots, but when he does, he picks forcefully. Very, very impressive for a player his age. Indicative of his IQ, I think, overall. I mean, if you yeah. if you look at their usage types, I've got it pulled up here, like the percentage of the time that they do certain things. I mean, Wimby's is way more 
even even though we're talking about like him being put in better positions and things like that, he's in way more like initiating situations. Like he's handling handling it more in ball screens. He's mm-hmm. got more post ups. He's you know he's getting more st- stuff done in uh, in handoffs. But Chet, like to Rob's point, yeah, is in a more complimentary role. And um, I don't know. I'd be curious. I I, I think. He is getting a lot more efficiency, too, out of that extra added year of strength that Wimby really, really needs because he just can't run. You saw it against the Knicks. I mean, like, he just can't run a straight line down the – like, he just can't do Mitch, it. Mitchell Robinson was bullying him. It was it was oh, not yeah. nice what, so, he, what he did. You can just get up under him too easily right now, and I, th- I think once he adds – and I think his frame will add. I, I think he'll always be a little vulnerable in that sense. Chet's just Chet? – yeah, No, I, th- I think Wimby, Wimby will always be a little more vulnerable. Like, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see him, like – um, I don't. It, it's hard to say. It's hard to. It's hard to project just how how much stronger he'll so, get. But he'll know, get more of those, I think, as he does. I don't know if stuff. you watched the Sacramento game, Cal, um, Oklahoma City in the in season tournament. There was there was a point in the. I think it was the third quarter. It was some point in the second half where Sacramento just decided we're gonna put Chet in a bunch of pick and rolls, and we're just gonna let Sabonis bully the hell out of him. And t- to the point that you made. Sabonis was charging, okay? He was putting his shoulder down right into (laughs) Chet's chest and just bulldozing his way to the basket. There's like three, four possessions in a row that he did this. And Chet just, you know, sort of took the contact and enough space was created that Sabonis could actually be effective. It's like one of the few things offensively you're like, oh, this is a thing that he can do. He can bully, you know, people that are skinnier than him or smaller than him and stuff like the that. The damning with faint praise going on the, right now. Listen, the backhanded well, compliment to Demonis Sabonis. I'll also say that Drew Eubanks kind of got him similarly yeah, the next yes. night. And yeah. like, to Chet's credit, he came back because he's just so fucking relentless. He's just constantly trying to find ways to solve these problems on the floor. And, and what I'm saying, I say all of that to say there's going to be a point where he gets strong enough that a six foot nine guy is not going to be able to create enough space to get a nice shot off. Right. At this point right now, even somebody who's way shorter than him, like Sabonis, can put himself in positions where he's just bodying this guy up, going straight into his chest and getting the, the requisite, space, requisite space to get the shot off. But soon enough, He's going to be strong enough where it's like that's going to be marginal space created and he's going to swallow that guy's stuff whole. Yeah. Um, sorry that's about the honestly, language there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Kyle. <laughs> I don't know how to segue out of that, but just that I think that's one of the biggest differences between them right now is I, I think players in the league respect Chet's energy and who he is as a shot blocker, but he does not have the the nope factor that Victor nah. Webanyama does. The come around to screen and just U-turn, I don't want nah. any part of this guy factor. Like, he is a little bit more like a, let me challenge him and see if I can dunk on him. Let me challenge him and see yeah. if I can bully him. And, I, I again, very hard thing to quantify and measure, the, like, all hell no of those moments. But Chet, I think, over time, as, as we're saying, as he gets stronger, too, will stand up even better to those sorts of challenges. He gives me vibes like when i when i was he gives me vibes <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you got to say it a little sexier <laughs> fanning myself like a southern per- yeah anyway uh i uh when i was like evaluating him i probably said this somewhere else but i'll say it again i, I was kind of like projecting what i thought he could do what i thought was realistic and and when i mapped it out i thought it was all pretty reasonable like i was like this is what i think statistically he could do and every name that came up was a hall of famer and i was like wow. and when you do something like that i was like 
I was like, well, Kyle, you probably overdid it there. So I was like, dial it back a little bit. And it's still like barely budged. I mean, it was mm. like, so he gives me, he gives me this vibe of like a cross between the, I literally might get struck by lightning for saying this, but <laughs> he gives me a vibe of like a cross between like a Pau Gasol and like with some, some AD mixed in there. Mm. Like, like the defense, the defense doesn't totally cover it with Gasol, but like the offensive IQ Man, that's who he reminds me of. Waz like, is in gorge right now, and I, by the way. And I love <laughs> Pau Gasol. Like I, and this me is too. really funny. I had that in my mind <laughs> last year when I was thinking when I was thinking about him. And when uh, when we were in Salt Lake City, Pau Gasol was out in front of our uh, hotel and I, in the roundabout. And I stood there and I just kind of stared at his body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Where I was like, cool. I had a moment and I was like, because he's not as big as he was when he was playing, but I, mm. like, I was looking at him and I was like, I'm probably a Google, like a dot on a Google map somewhere now. But like, I was like, I was, I was just looking at his frame and I was, and I was like, you know, yeah, but like, Powell eventually got physical enough where you could not push him around. Yeah. yeah. And he was never this like big muscle bound dude, but he became, you know, he grew into He's his rooted. body yeah. in such a way. Yeah. He just, he couldn't be moved. And so yeah, Powell, that is a beautiful comp. Oh my God. Man. Wow. Right. Powell, Powell means I'm, AD. Lord have mercy. <laughs> if that ends up being true, I mean, yeah, yeah. he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And I was pointing out that like his, his box plus minus right now is one of the ones that like historically I've kept an eye on that like usually if you can't get your head above water with box plus minus by year, by year two usually yeah. there are examples of guys who are they're usually younger but like if you're going to be an mvp level player by year two your head's got to be above water there and if your head is well above water in year one in box plus minus not that this is gospel but chet is at like four and a half right now That's it's crazy. gotten up at, at like six seven range like it it's He's he is very very good. And any any other year, he would be the obvious rookie of the year. I think. All right, we we need yeah. to move along from our gangly alien from our t- our tent revival in here <laughs> around the, the the gospel of Chet. Yeah. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. You know what odd I'm eyeing these days? The Philadelphia 76ers for the NBA championship plus 1600. I know, I know. I'm getting ahead of myself, but have you seen Tyrese Maxey lately? I I don't think it's going to happen per se, but if you're giving me those odds and considering the way the Bucks are playing, let's be honest, I could see them at the very least making it to the finals. If they get there, who's to say they won't win the title? If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's 2 for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. 
Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. We have to give some time to our short kings. Uh, Scoot Henderson, my most anticipated rookie, unfortunately mm. has been limited to five games because of this ankle sprain. Ooh. I'll say this. I was I was watching him against Detroit the other night. Uh, when he has the ball and he's passing it, looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's not doing that, Kyle, <laughs> I don't actually know what he's doing. Uh, where did you fall on the Scoot experiment after five games, which is actually much fewer than even some of the other guys we're talking about? This has been tough for me because, like, throughout the year, I was <laughs> I was pretty hard on Scoot, like, in terms of just, like, putting his, you know, putting him to the fire a little bit, like, because it was it was one of those, like, we were just, we had coronated him from the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, and I, I don't like situations like that. I'm just like, okay, we got to have some, like, diversity of thought with this, guys. So over the year, I was a little worried, and then when I dug into the tape and I listened to him talk, I was like, this guy, I was like, I trust him to get better, like, when I would just listen to him, and I was like... He, he really had a good command of his gears. Like he could play slower, better than a lot of like athletic point guards do. But I was like, a lot of it is going to lean on some of these offensive things like working, because if they don't work, the big thing for me, the word I keep using is leverage. Like he has been a, like, he was heavy, 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 heavy elbow pull-up jumpers like with the G league ignite. That's his favorite shot. You listen to him talk. He was like, that's where I like to shoot. He didn't shoot an incredible percentage from there. I mean, it was like um, not enough for him to justify it. So when he starts playing with the Blazers, not only did those like diminish a little bit, they're just gone. Like those attempts are just gone from his game. And one of the things that I was talking about with him that I I hoped that he could develop was just middle game. Like because right now he just doesn't have any kind of offense going on. There was a play against the Raptors where Schroeder was guarding him. And DeAndre Ayton, he gets a screen – And then you could tell that, like, Scoot was like, I'm going to shoot this pull-up three. So they re-screen again, and Schroeder at one point just backs up, and he's like, be my guest. (laughs) And and it, it, it like, misses badly. So the thing is, like, he started a bit. I think he's, like, 19% from three or something. No, it's it's even lower. It's nine. It's 9.5. 9.5. Yeah, it's really, really low. 19, I was giving him way too much credit there. Uh, He just, he's going to have to find out how to pick his spots better. Like you were saying, like he's a breathtaking athlete, like when he's in space, like in in the point I make on our build, 
not to spoil it too much, is that like defenders are saying thank thank Christ when he, when he when he decides not to attack the rim and like when he's that's his strength. I don't know that he's ever going to be like an elite elite scorer, but I think that he he will be a good enough facilitator and like draw free throws and things like that. I think those things are going to come around, but like he's he's I think he's getting his legs under him, like getting comfortable in terms of like where his spots are and when. Yeah, he's played five games, as you said, Justin. He's made four total shots outside the paint. <sighs> not great. Not ideal for where you want him to be. And honestly, I can't think of a player in the league that needs to go to floater school more than Scoot Henderson. Like he needs a way where if he's not getting all the way, he's got some option because I love what he's doing as a pocket passer, right? Like you can see him hitting guys on time, connecting even with bigs who don't have the best hands. And I think the most glowing endorsement on, on Portland. <laughs> I mean, one one big glaring example. And I think the biggest endorsement of where Scoot is right now is the dip in DeAndre Ayton's production when he's off the floor, right? Like Ayton has already become like pretty reliant on Scoot setting him up in good spots and he's doing it. You just need to see the scoring game round out so that defenses don't start playing him for that all the time. You can't be a great like he's a, he's an unselfish player like he is a willing defer like he does not mind doing that he doesn't have a he's a smart player he's not he doesn't have an agenda that that sabotages him but mm-hmm. yeah you can't you can't we've seen this with Ben Simmons he had passing chops if you can't you got to leverage like I always say playmaking is a responsive skill set like yes. if if you don't have respect you're it just doesn't not matter gonna... how willing you are to give up the ball if defenses aren't reacting to the things that you're doing. And what I would say to people is like, point guard is hard. <laughs> like, yeah, for a rookie, you, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely, like, it's hard. It, it, you 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 look up what Mike Conley or Kyle Lowry or or Kyrie Irving or I'm talking about these Jamal Murray. Like, I'm Darius about Garland was bad. All this first year. these guys are yeah. all star point guards in the NBA. You go back and look at what they did their first few games in the league or even their rookie years, damn near, the whole thing. It was ugly, right? And so I'm not surprised. I think the situation in Portland got so nasty over the summer and, you know. No, <laughs> I listen. was waiting for you to <laughs> make like, Listen, listen. No, no, no. Justin no, no. literally oh, made a face. No, you, listen, know, listen, no, I, you guys I just, know each other too well. I, I'm just saying, like, look. I think people got a little carried away, and, and and Kyle was speaking to that. There was this savior situation of, you know, we're getting rid of Dame. We've done that. That's ran its course. And now we have this new shiny savior object coming into the situation. And it's a lesson of like, yo, like young guys don't just come in and change your life. And also... It's not like LeBron and even KD and and other guys who came in, like, even if they weren't playing winning ball, it was so freaking exciting right away that everybody had a right to be, wow, this is going to be incredible pretty soon here. That hasn't happened with Scoop, but again, he's playing the hardest position on the court, which is facilitating NBA offense. Um, It's probably the only other thing that's harder is big man defense, right? And so... You know, like, he needs time. The jumper's not falling. I'm not surprised by that. Like, this shit is hard. (laughs) I know that's not, like, groundbreaking analysis, but there's a reason why everybody comes in and struggles. Like, the people who did it's like Chris Paul, who would have been a junior in college his rookie year. You know, like, it's different. Like, these guys are going to struggle. Yeah. The other other thing I would tack on is you mentioned the big man hands. You mentioned, like, Portland. I know... have you guys ever played Bioshock? Rob, have you played Bioshock? I, I haven't, have. actually. Oh, I have. have. Yep. 
there's a there's a thing I always think about when I think about the flow of NBA offenses. This is really dumb. I almost put it in something one time, but like there's that you know when you can't got, wait to cut it out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you hear that shing sound? That was that was Justin sharpening knives. Personal anecdote. Cut it uh, anyway. So there's that there's those prompts where you can hack a terminal and the, it's a little mini game where you had to direct the flow of this thing from one side to the other based on the pieces you had. So like, I always think about the, I'll, not always, but frequently we'll think about like offenses have to have a way. And it's usually it. My point is that like Portland is an offense with a lot of guys who are leaning towards creating for themselves. There's not a yes. lot of liquidity, like fluidness, fluidity between like getting on and off the ball. And they really need Scoot to be that person for them because Simons is, is, is a score primarily, uh, you know, Shaden Sharp, we know what he is. Uh, <laughs> you know, know my favorite thing about watching Portland is Jeremy Grant, same thing. Uh, like Shaden Sharp out of nowhere will just fly into the frame as if he's like a superhero learning how to fly. Like just out of nowhere. It's just one of the most wild things. But sorry, I cut you off. I, I've tried to like uh, somebody from P3 was because I was I was trying to figure out like why some of those guys look like they're like in the air longer. Like and because um, Morant was one that I was obsessed with. Yeah. And they were talking about there's something in their mid their mid frame. I think he was saying like the torso, like their ability to like stretch themselves when they're in the air makes it seem like they're in the air longer. Like huh. that's a digression, I know. But yeah, like some I, I'll like screenshot the frame by frames of Shaden sometimes when he's in the air. Oh, like he floats. Like, he's like an Absurd. Olympic long jumper. He's like in he's such a crazy athlete. But they they're, they're a team of pieces that are kind of pointed in different directions. Sure. And I think that's making it look worse, in my opinion. Well, and Scoot is a part of that, too, in the sense that he's still learning, as you're saying, Kyle, like to understand how to navigate the flow of a complete offense. I think right now he, you can almost see his cone of vision to the basket, to the rolling big, like primary options. Like he, he is clearly making his reads in kind of a sequential order. What he's not really getting to yet is the kick. Like he's not really setting up three point shooters, even though the Blazers have some of those guys like they have guys who can knock down some shots. He's just not like trained to think in terms of that dynamic yet. And so for a passer who's already like on point in his delivery and clearly has a has a want and an instinct to deliver the ball. There's a lot of room for growth here as a playmaker. There's a lot of room for a, a much like more advanced, more sophisticated Scoot Henderson in year three to make a, an enormous jump. Yeah. So we should also talk about the guy that the Hornets took above Scoot. That's Brandon Miller. Um, unlike the first three guys we talked about, Kyle, I don't really have a clear sense of what Brandon Miller is going to be. Like, is this like a Paul George 2.0 situation? Like, what is his future? Not only just as a player, but maybe even in connection with LaMelo Ball and like how they fit together. Uh, I was pretty, I mean, uh, you can go listen to it. If, if, if I'm wrong, people will be able to kick my ass around the room for this. But I was, uh, I was pretty set on them taking Scoot. I thought that that would be a better fit. I thought that like the LaMelo Scoot thing I could see working. I like, I understand the, the, the allure of having like two, you know, like very flexible, elastic, skinny guys that can like dribble, pull up, shoot and live dribble pass. Like I saw the appeal of putting Miller with, with LaMelo and to the question of like what Miller could become. Um, it's hard to say. I, I think the Paul George thing, I always have a hard time with because like, if you're, if you're going to look at, 
I actually built, remember, I, I built out a huge comparison. I started to go down this road, <laughs> but Justin and I were like, this is just way too much. Uh, I, I was just kind of like laying out, got like guys that are over 6'9", or in that 6'8 to 6'9", 6'10", ball handler range, what causes them to become superstars? And I was looking at like Jason Tatum from like 18 to 21, Pascal Siakam from 18 to 21. The big thing is like, you know, rim pressure is the thing that unlocks it typically. Yeah. Handle yeah. is the thing that helps you get the handle begets mm -hmm. handle begets decision making. It begets everything. Like it, it just opens up a whole world. Miller right now, I'm not sure how much I tr like. He's one of those dudes. If he is a runway. He, you're going to be like, holy shit. Like that guy can like throw down, he'll drop a hammer. But if somebody's in his way, you start to see him kind of like shimmying like a weird guy to dance. Like he just kind of, he like doesn't look comfortable with it. Like when he's going to the basket, uh, there's a clip that I put in the thing where he just gets run out of bounds. I forget who the guy was guarding him, but it was somebody, but he, he just doesn't have that like get to the rim, dust him physicality no. the way Paul George did at the same age. So I'm not sure there could be a world where he leans into being a like a, a guy who like makes a quick pick and roll read if it's there gets off the ball relocates shoots it i mean we've seen some of that from from like michael porter junior but just with a little more passing set in so the conversation about him becoming like a star superstar i think is contingent on that stuff yeah i don't know about superstar kind of player but when you so when you guys talk about six foot nine, six foot ten ball handlers, like my mind goes to Lamar Odom. That's who I think about. Who's he's gonna be a superstar in his role, and he might be able to sneak onto an All Star game or two just by being on a really good team and being that third Draymond Green type that ends up making the All Star team. But I don't think he's gonna be a dude that generates offense um, at an elite level um, at any point. But I still think. You know, elite role playing is valuable. I just love the guy's feel. I keep saying that. Like, his understanding of hoop is incredible. And if he could get his three-point shooting up and, you know, he attacks mismatches when the opportunity presents itself and he's a transition guy and things like that, then he'll be able to plug in the gaps around somebody who's doing elite creation. I don't know that he's going to be the guy necessarily to do that because I just don't – he doesn't have – you know, he's not extremely quick, right? Uh, he He's not, He's. I don't think he's going to be like this really strong person like a Zion who just muscles people, right? I don't think he's going to no. present this elite physical nature at any point in, in his career. And so he's just going to be a skills guy. And I think that can be really valuable if you're really smart on defense and you know how to move the ball around and you can knock down an open shot. Like all of that in one package is a very valuable player. It's just not a superstar player what else counterbalance all this is that so far he has not played in a way where it like insists upon he doesn't insist upon himself as a top pick right like he doesn't play in a way that dominates the ball he's playing off of Lamelo and gordon hayward and like trying to figure out ways to complement those guys and one of the things i've been personally really shocked by is he is getting after it defensively and this is one of the spots where kyle to your point about this being just like such an impressive top to bottom defensive draft class like brandon miller 6'9", plus wingspan. It's like seven moving feet. his feet. He's well, I mean, long he's, as shit. Yeah, he's, he's got arms for days, and the Hornets are trusting him to guard Kyrie Irving, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, Mikael Bridges, That's Jordan crazy. Poole, right? Like, he's getting thrown on those assignments, <laughs> yeah. and he's acquitting himself pretty well. Yeah, I, I, it's... 
he, he competes, you know, he, it's, it's funny. Like the, I was joking with Tate the other day about the height thing. He's one of those guys that has been a casual. I I'm trying, I've been like going and like getting like photos of him next to LaMelo. I'm trying to figure out j- exactly how tall he is. I feel like he might be like six, seven and, and, and three quarters or something because mm-hmm. LaMelo seems like he was a little over listed because we heard that Brandon Miller was six, nine, Oh, he's six, nine. And you just get so excited about that, that number as a ball handler. But I, and then he was six, seven, he's listed on the thing. Not that it matters, but he is long and yeah, really competitive. I like his energy on defense has been really impressive to me. Like, he was he guarding be, Kyrie the other day and he could have yeah. almost like enveloped him with just how long he is. He felt like he could have just smothered him with all that. <laughs> and to me, the, the Iggy's, the Draymond's, the Al Horford's like these kind of guys on great teams that again aren't the drivers necessarily of what's happening on offense. They still get paid, man. Like these are still really valuable pieces. And so I like you know again if you become a Swiss an elite Swiss Army knife, which sure you probably can't murder anybody with one, but you could do some damage. You know what I'm saying? Like that's still a valuable piece to a team. I'm still excited to see. How he develops. What would be your go-to Swiss Army knife killing move? Are you going? <laughs> are you going tweezers? Are you are you going to corkscrew him? What are you thinking? Whatever is like the. It's like almost like a knife or nail filer or whatever. That nail file him today. You yeah. might just have to do. Just try to get the neck. Get to the neck. You know, yeah, you'll do true. some damage. You just neck. you just won't be able to kill NBA defenses with it. All right, let's do kind of like a lightning round on some of these other guys that have been intriguing early on. Uh, Kyle, do you want to do Casey Wallace or Derek Lively first? <laughs> uh, let's do let's do Lively. Let's do Lively. Okay, he deserves it. He deserves it. Yes. So, is there anything more to Lively than the very obvious Tyson Chandler comp that I've probably made in my mind every single time I've watched him? I think. Oh there's- yeah. There's more. Yeah, I, I think yeah. he's shown well, it's it's always hard because when guys grow up in different eras, because, you know, Tyson Chandler was a senior in like, what, 2000, 2001, I yeah. think I remember. Uh, but like the game was just different back then. You know, would he have been able to play to answer your question? He has more. And I think it's probably the result of when he when he when he grew up, like we, we saw lively spacing a little more. Granted, his shot is still fairly hypothetical i mean i i think his ball skills wise like he has more kind of growth plate yeah. on his game than than chandler but just the simple that simple primary element of him being able to i was i was watching him we we dumb it down sometimes we're just like well he's just running to the rim and catching lobs it's like no i mean there's more to it than that like he was reading screens really well like i was watching him with luca and it's it's amazing like he's playing a core role Granted, this is the perfect role for him and yeah. the, in the in situation in person to be with, but um, he's doing it well, and I think I think that's you got to applaud it. Their offense is humming right now. Rob, did you see how nicely he answered my question, where you were just like, "Oh yeah, just absolutely not." I mean, that's that's the answer to your question is definitely not. Should I just have said what you said, Rob? Just oh, absolutely not. Is that the way no. to go? I would I would have walked Rob out. Rob was room. offended by the Tyson Chandler. <laughs> Rob did write a book Dallas about guy. the Mavs, so Dallas he is he is guy. the expert here. I have all the respect in the world for Tyson Chandler, but when I see Derek Lively, I see a guy who can pass, right? Like a guy who has really good feel for that kind of connection, and that was that was never Tyson's game, and he was never asked to do those things, but. When Luka is the primary driver of your offense, it's one thing to be a great roller, to be a, a Dwight Powell in those situations. But if you're a great roller who can catch the free throw line and attack, who can catch lobs that are really high, who can catch and read a defense and spray out to the corner, 
that is a that's a next level contribution. So I think Lively has a, a really high ceiling for Dallas. Like he could be he could be a really important piece of the construction of that team. How many times this season do you think Grant Williams has caught the ball and looked at who's in front of him, no one frequently, and <laughs> yeah. thought, damn. Like compared to like what was going on <laughs> yeah. in the past, like he has been the chief beneficiary, I feel like, of that triumph of like the two and man, three man actions. Like he's been wide open so much. There, I haven't looked, but it has to be the most. There was a stat on the threes. broadcast the other day where it was like percentage of their their production was three pointers and his was, his was in the 70s. Yeah. He was top in the league. It has to be the most open shots he's taken in his career. I, I, I'll have to look that up. It has it's to be. It's tough living in Boston, man. This <laughs> is just not that easy, man. Um, A lot of grenades. Let's yeah. talk about Casey Wallace. <laughs> let's do it. Your guy. Uh, Kaysen, I mean, I, I got to watch him last year and, you know, like obviously closely and, uh, it, context just is so interesting. Like, you know, like with lively, it was interesting last year. He got, he was on a team that didn't have that kind of like playmaking fluidity and Kentucky last year was very similar, much to my dismay. And, uh, um, <laughs> just, just a lot of, you know, death inside last year, just watching, <laughs> he is a secondary, a second side guy he's a second sider like he 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 is a guy who can make simple playmaking reads he can hit open threes he's been blistering he can get to the rim and things like that he was overburdened so I think people just kind of started to nitpick him uh and you know with the thunder it's the same thing as Chet he's just plugging right in like he's 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 within the flow of their offense and the other thing is that like his defensive upside here we go again, is, is great. Like, he's switchable. He can guard the ball. He has great instincts. He's a great two-way player. It's, it's, it's incredible that they got him and Jalen Williams in similar ranges of the draft back-to-back years. Like, they just – and it was a surprise at the time. People, people were like, Casey Wallace, really? But, yeah. like, he's, he's just – he's applicable everywhere to me, in my opinion. This is where our podcast programming comes into direct conflict with my personal needs because – I need someone to talk me down on Casey Wallace mm. and Kyle. It's it's clearly not going to be you. Um, Was <laughs> he's great? <laughs> <All right. laughs> like I regret to inform you all that Casey Wallace is now only a member of the sixty fifty one hundred club. Yeah, uh, you know, so tough, tough, real, real drought for his percentages lately. But like, it's amazing how few mistakes he makes for for a player who's in that spot. Uh, I think even a lot of guys who are second side guards in the NBA, there's a temptation to want to show what you can do in that role, to want to pop out of it in a way that's impressive. And he doesn't let like the want to do something impressive get in the way of making the right plays. What's crazy about him is I was watching their game against the Suns the other night, and he didn't play in the first quarter, didn't play in the third quarter. But every time he was on the court, you knew it. Like he just makes such an impact on both sides, but particularly on defense where he's such a gnat. Like he pops off the page amidst this like sea of other young guys on that team. Yeah, he blocked the Jamal Murray fadeaway in their game against Denver. That was like a whoa. Uh, he's just positionally really has his wits about him at all times. You know, in spot ups, uh, but on offense, on, on spot up three pointers right now, he's at fifty three point eight percent. And uh, yeah, I mean the sample's not gigantic. You you want to talk about like okay, we're we're reeling, we're like you know going crazy, we're trying to figure out where the boundaries are. That's what I always say in the in the fog of our excitement. Um, I mean, what can he graduate to? Has been the question. I mean, like where yeah. where can it go from here? Is it, you know I. It, I don't know where to put a limit on him because I, I do think if he if he develops it, we've seen he can dribble. He, he's a dribble pull up shooter. We've seen he can get to the rim. These are all these kind of elements that we were talking about. Like we're not sure about this or that guy. 
he kind of has fledgling signs of all those things. So it's it's another. Well, here's the question: like, where does he fit on that team? Exactly. <laughs> like, is he destined to come off the bench just because there's just so many people in front of him? Had a lot of conversations. I'm, I'm curious to get your all's opinion about this because I've talked to a lot of OKC people about this. I I, I feel like if he's going to continue to be this kind of a threat, it opens up because they're going to have money issues really soon is the issue too. Mm, like, right. There's got to be, you know, I don't know if it's Dort or who it is. Does he create redu- redundancy with Dort and like sort of upgrade over him offensively in some ways? Some yeah, choice. it's like, do you need a, a a premium defensive player who, you know, limits what you do spacing wise if you can just get merely really good defensive player who's you know just way better spacer i mean these are like philosophical questions just for me i've I've seen this guy freaking stonewall james harden in his mvp candidate years you know like how you just say i don't need that that's it's it's true yeah or is it giddy is giddy the guy that's the odd man out ideally you don't have to pick and choose between them that much until as you're saying the money problems come up like that's the the forcing function here but in terms of what the thunder have and what they need on the court like, Casey Wallace can guard different kinds of players than Lou Dort does. And so there's, I think there's room for them both right now. And maybe ideally in a future where Wallace continues to develop, he is a starter alongside Shea and those other guys. And you have some nice, like, variability between them. But that's the beauty of where the Thunder are right now is there, there honestly is nothing but options. Uh, Rob, do you want to take us through Keontae George, the experience here? I mean, mostly... He's the kind of player who, when you watch him, there's nothing individually that he is doing that's all that impressive. But I just wasn't sure how much time he was going to get in Utah, given their like glut of a guard rotation right now. And he has more, he gives more juice to their offense than any of the other guys they have at that position. So I've been very impressed as far as like a rookie slotting into a team that has a very clear need for playmaking. He gives them a little something. You like Chianti George, is what you're saying? <laughs> you like a little, Keon- you like Keontae. a little, you like a little Chianti with your jazz, huh? Mm. I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, um, with some Pepperdell. Justin said Chianti. <laughs> all right, do I need to say it? I'm, I'm just a distinguished gentleman. You guys are all Philistines. <laughs> <laughs> little Chianti with your jazz is it's that's you know you as a classy guy, Chef's I think guess. you would like that. No, Absolutely. I mean um, he's he's he's. Somebody who I like Keontae's like shiftiness with the ball. Like he clearly has some ability. He's going to be, he's been able to get to his shot pretty dependably at lower levels. It's just, is he going to be able to do that consistently enough for you to be like, okay, you can live. We trust you. I like, he's also shown some moments uh, like where he can, you know, his passing chops have have been like his creativity. Um, I don't know. I, I I like him as an on-ball scorer. It's just like a question of whether he could be a primary one or one that you would put next to another one. I lean that he's probably going to need to be put. I, I'm not so. I'm not totally short, sold on the primary part of it yet. Uh, he's starting right now uh, next to Clarkson and Abaji while Kessler is out. So we'll see on that one. Uh, I, th- I feel like we have to check the box on Asar Thompson just yeah. because of Got how incredible it. he's been. So he's he's technically 12th in the NBA in rebounds per game, just one <laughs> spot below Jalen Duren, who is uh, wow. their center. And I he think he's the best small... offensive rebounder in the league right now. He by is. Percentage. Uh, in total rebounds, he's second to Nikola Jokic. Jokic has 137 Asar has 116. Rudy Gobert has 115. DeAndre Ayton has 110. The three other guys are 6'11 or taller. Asar Thompson is 6'7. And so, Kyle, were you expecting 
this level of energy and activity? Because it, it feels like we were sold that this guy was going to be the Swiss Army knife, the nail file, the the corkscrew for the Pistons. But or has he exceeded your expectations Ex- so far? Exceeded, exceeded. I I liked him. Uh, I leaned towards uh, Amin because I I kind of liked. I thought Amin had a little bit more like on ball juice in terms mm-hmm. of like I thought he was going to be able to facilitate. Granted, the scoring issues for both of them are pretty similar. It's it's just. You want to give twins their own, their identity. We were told that a lot by like psychologists, like treat them as individual people. It's just hard to like, and when twins grow up together, a lot of times they fall into the, from the function of just playing together everywhere. They fall yeah. into these roles. So they it was kind of around each other. Yeah. It's, it's hard to sort of like draw the line between like, okay, like how, how are they different? Is, is it true that Amen has this or is it just true that Amen always had the ball and we only saw that from Amen. So anyway, but like with Asar, the defense, um, he could be an all-defensive player. Uh, he he had a moment the other night. Um, he, he's made my like eyes bug a few times this year. Where the clips, uh, the clips that I that I use on the, in our build, one of them is like he drove to his left side guarding Grayson Allen, and Grayson Allen was sort of like run off of his path, and he tried to shoot a floater over Asar, and Asar almost high points it going to his left with his left hand i was like holy shit what did i just see (laughs) and then um there was another defensive play against the thunder where he single-handedly disrupted their like flow like he made shea he's had some incredible possessions against shea i would recommend people go check those out i'm sure they're compiled by some pistons fan on youtube but like he makes Shea take this really awkward shot. He closes out to, I think it was like Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams was like, I'm not going to be able to get this shot off. Drives, walls him up. Like he just, he's a really, really versatile defender. I've been, he's, he honestly may, he's one of the most impressive defenders in this class. If not, you know, he's way, way up there, at least on the perimeter. Yeah, he's seeing the game. That's that's the coolest thing. I've been tuning into a decent amount of Pistons just because of Cade. I'm obviously super interested in what he's going to finally be able to do this year. And I think it's been mostly positive on the Cade side. But just, just his ability to see it on both ends of the floor and understanding what what the team, what the opposition is trying to do. And then, you know, when Draymond goes out of his way to, to give a guy props, it's because he's like, all right, this guy's seeing it the way I do. Um, and his anticipation, like when you combine an anticipation for what's about to happen with next level athleticism, that's when you start getting into the, you know, the Kawhi, the, and even Ron Artest was not like next level athlete, but he was so physical um, with his defensive IQ and anticipation. You start adding the physical stuff to the mental, and that's when you get, you know, what Kyle is mentioning as, as all NBA level stuff. And on offense, look, you know, the guy can't make a shot. It's 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 not going to be perfect, but it's still it's still pretty exciting when just with the stuff that he's already put on film. I love all the way those things you laid out was like contrast with Cade, right? Like they, those guys overlap on feel and instinct, but they they totally diverge in how those things manifest. Yes. And it makes them just like a completely perfect pair. Yeah. We gushed about the Pistons early on, like probably second episode or something of the season. I'm glad we did because there hasn't been much good, but I do love kind of the foundation that they've kind yeah. of built with some of these guys. Uh, just the last guy I want to mention here, if only because I want to see the glimmer in in Kyle's eye here, is one Jaime Jaquez. Who, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I was watching him the other night against the Spurs, and the lack of like giving a shit this guy has is Jimmy Butler level. I could see what the Heat saw in him because like outwardly, 
he's ice cold and inside of his brain you could just see him like putting various people into saw traps like the, the various <laughs> traps he's just like he's just so fucking like ice in his veins sadistic. i love it he's just he's sadistic <laughs> yeah. out there god i love it uh, I was just waiting for you that, <laughs> to take that turn. Uh, the sadism part of it, I hadn't considered. Uh, no, I mean, he... Uh, but now... I'll keep it in mind. No, I mean, he just he's a cerebral player. Uh, Rob and I were having a conversation the other night about, like, you know, you see this happen again and again that, like... Um, well, we were talking... I think Halliburton was the framing for it, right? Where it's like, you know, how does Halliburton not go, you know, one, two, three? How does that not happen? What yep. What is it about the intangibles that are so weird? Why is it that it's... It call, we have to see somebody in the flow of the action to suddenly have a eureka action. The, the, That's the, inverted. The jump shot was was not cute. That's it. But he had shot like almost 40% at every shot. level. I've investigated nice. this, Wise. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It just wasn't cute. No, it's it's <laughs> weird. Cute. It's like it, his his mechanics were odd. I think that was weird for people, mm-hmm. but no, not trying to get into Halbert. But I, I just think it's inverted that we like – it says something about the way we look at players, I think, that like – we have to like see them in the flow to like have our come come to de- no that's inverted we should watch guys play basketball jesus christ so like if you watch Jaime Jaquez at UCLA, he just was everything to them. And it didn't always show up. And I would be like, well, he's not like a combine guy. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy like in workouts where you're going to be like, yeah. he's, he's somebody that just adds value in all these different places. And I, I clipped a few of these things on my Instagram uh, where I was just watching. There was one sequence where there, there are a lot of these. There's one sequence where Jay Nivey tries to cross him, basically. Jaime like shuttles with him bodies up to him rips him throws a crazy like dime outlet pass to to tyler hero it gets blocked Hawkins crosses the half court line they're resetting he sees oh i have joe harris on me sprints to the block sprints (laughs) to the block poor joe harris is helpless scores on him immediately and one uh that's just an example like he ripped lebron the other night like he's just he's a guy who just adds value all over the place and uh I was texting Bill. I was like, "Are you ready for this guy to terrorize you for for the next ten oh, years?" Oh God, yeah. Uh, because he's he's just going to be a nuisance in the East, man. He's a player. Culture. <laughs> Can I say something about Miami real quick? <laughs> yes, please. Miami's leaned into it too hard with their branding. It was cool when it was with when we were talking about it. It was great. Them putting it on their court, putting it on the jerseys and stuff. Let us say that about you, Miami. You saying it makes it weirder. Like I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know. Am, well, am I alone on that? Is anybody else? No, it's alone? extremely weird. They got to back it off. The, the 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 jersey, the city edition jersey with the just, awful, just smacking culture on the jersey awful. was yeah. was. Was was where I kind of got Isaiah off. Isaiah loves it. <laughs> I mean, the court look. is so much worse though. Like, there's going to be an overhead picture of somebody dunking all over Bam at a bio with that lane, with the long description of the Heat being the toughest, most fierce team in the <laughs> You're league. Asking for it, yeah, you really are. But at the same time, they're just coming off of a finals with yeah. the players that they did. Like, they've ruined not all wrong, the goodwill. But you can't yeah. say it. You can't be the one to say it. Uh, Rob, did you want to weigh in on Hawkes? Just that I, I, you know, I love. The NBA is, you know, it's filled with some of the most athletic players in the world, some of the smartest basketball players in the world. And Jaime Jaquez has come in and made a lot of them just look extremely dumb, <laughs> right? Just extremely dumb on a nightly basis. The Heat will just like put him on the mid post on some possessions and just have dudes run around. And it's amazing how much leverage you can get out of literally just doing that. All right, let's wrap it there. 
Kyle, thank you for joining us. It was my pleasure. Really I, can't emphasize that enough. We view you as the, the Capadonna of, of this podcast. You're like the unofficial fourth member. I love that. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, so check out Kyle's rookie rankings, which I believe are going to go live on TheRinger.com on Thursday. Check out Rob's Tyrese Halliburton feature. Rob, anything oh, you want to say about it's really good. that to tease it? I mean, I think I said enough in the thing. Like the word count is oppressive. So if you if you want to if you want a long leisurely read, I would encourage you to visit theringer.com and, and read about Tyrese Halliburton. All right. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. Thank you to Ben Cruz also. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday. See you then. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.